Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. Turn to the book of Ephesians as we've been working our way through. Of course, we are in the season between Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, that Yomim, Narayim, those awesome days, those days when in Jewish tradition we're to be contemplating our lives and attempting, at least from a rabbinic point of view, of getting our lives in order. And what does God intend for us to become? These passages in Ephesians speak to this issue. I want to just focus on one aspect of it. But if you look at chapter 4, beginning at verse 11, Paul writes, It was he, that is the ascended, risen Messiah. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds of God's people, some to be teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Messiah may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Messiah. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up unto him who is the head, that is Messiah, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. If I was to ask the question, why do congregations exist? Why do, and as we've reflected earlier, local churches, as it were, exist? What is their purpose? Some might say their purpose is to be a light to their community, to go out and to make sure the good news is heard by those in their confines or those in their area. And they would be right in knowing that the message needs to go out. Yeshua has told us to go into all the world, proclaim the good news, to make disciples of all people. We read this morning and we recite each Sunday that Messiah gave us those marching orders to be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So some might conclude that God's purpose is that when he brings a body of believers together, its purpose is to see that his word would go forth and that many others would come to know him as Savior. They would be right about that, but Paul has a different thought in mind here. 
Some might say the purpose for which God brings believers together, gathers them in a local area or community, is to not only be a light with regard to the message of salvation, but to be a provider for the needs that are there in that community. Perhaps because there are many homeless. Maybe because there are many that uh, lack food, shelter, or are dealing with addictions and other problems that may come on uh, in a person's life. My good friend Brian, their church in Minnesota, is right across the street from a park where the homeless spend most of their times, where they all hang out. As a result, that particular church saw as one of its purposes to reach that community. And so they have a pastor to the homeless whose sole responsibility is to see that the congregation there is mobilized to meet their needs. And they do a marvelous job in reaching out to that community. They've seen many transformed and radically altered and changed, some not even living in that park any longer and having a responsible lives as a result. And they would be right in understanding that we need to make a difference in the community in which we live. But when Paul thinks about the ultimate purpose for which he brings a body of believers together, it, he doesn't focus on that at all uh, as well. But what does he focus on? Take a look at chapter 4. And he tells us in verse 12 and 13, he says that we are to reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and here it is, and become mature. That is God's ultimate purpose in bringing us into a relationship with himself, is that we might grow up in our faith. He talks about four things that reflect the maturity or the maturing of individuals in a relationship with God. I just want to think about, talk about one of them. But just to put them on the table, first of all, he speaks about unity. You see this in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith. Now this is very interesting because earlier he told us that we are to maintain, verse 3, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Here he says that we need to reach the unity of the faith. He's talking about two separate things. In one instance, he's talking about that which already exists because of Messiah's presence in our midst needs to be maintained. And he tells us what those things are. We're not going to get all into it this morning, but look at verse 3. He talks about the unity of the Spirit is manifested in the one body, the one Spirit, one Lord, one hope, one faith, one immersion, one God, one Father of us all. That is something we all have received. That is something we all enter into in the community of believers. And those are the things we are to maintain and make every effort to maintain. But here he says we need to attain to some kind of unity among us. And he speaks of it as unity in the faith. Faith is an interesting word in Scripture. Sometimes it speaks of that subjective response to the revelation of God. So we oftentimes think of faith as a verb. What we do, we believe in God. We trust in Him. We rely upon Him. In this instance, faith is an action that we do. But that's not what Paul is talking about here in verse 13. Reaching the unity in the faith has to do with the content of what it is we trust in. In other words, Paul is focusing on what the scriptures teach. 
And that's why when he ends his listing of those gifts to the body of Messiah, gifted individuals, some who are apostles, prophets, and evangelists, he concludes with pastor-teachers. Because he's concerned that we might understand the revelation of God as written in Scripture. And as we come to understand that and embrace it, we need to attain to its deeper and deeper understanding that we would have unity in our body. But I don't want to talk very lengthily about that aspect of what it means to be mature in the Lord. Other passages tell us that we need to no longer feast on the milk of the word, but on the meat of the word. And that necessitates that we are engaged with one another. That's why our home groups are so important to our body. They are important in building community because we need one another. They are important in reflecting on the truths of God's word because we are to, be, to attain to the unity of the faith, of the things we believe. And so on the first, third, and fifth Wednesdays in Van Nuys, Bob and Dup host a group that meets in their home. On the second and fourth Wednesday evenings over in Chatsworth by Corbin and Devonshire, we have another home group that I'm privileged to lead, but uh, at least to teach in, but Roger leads us in worship and in prayer, and others lead in providing of fellowship together, and we all pray for one another. And then there's a group who are involved in reading books together, and they meet, I think, once a month over at the Estradas. That leads to fellowship. It also leads to spiritual discussion and growing deeper in our understanding of the word and how we implement and live out our faith in the light of ideas that are reflected in various books and what goes on in our lives. Before service on Sunday and when we move to Shabbat on the 21st, Eitan has a class. I think you're doing the book of Hebrews or Revelation or Revelation. And Chris has a class uh, in the book of Ezekiel. So these are opportunities to feast on the Word of God more deeply, and I hope that we can establish even more uh, such places for us to fellowship and to learn God's Word together. But that's one of the things that characterizes this notion that Paul is talking about, this idea that we are to become mature. The second thing he mentions, that we would attain to the whole measure, measure of the fullness of Messiah. I want to come back to that. But the other two things are found in verse 15, in which he speaks about speaking the truth in love. Interesting, this word speaking is not in the Greek text at all. In fact, the word truth is a participle. And in this verse, it means truthing in love. The translators put speaking the truth because they understood the idea of the truth being expressed verbally. But that's not Paul's sole idea. He's talking about our life is to be a life of integrity, a life of vulnerability, a life of humility, a life of truth that is lived out and fleshed out. And the fourth thing is the manifestation of love. And so Paul says the things that lead to a mature walk and growth is understanding the word and its deeper aspects and the applying of those truths to our lives. 
He speaks about our being truthful in our character and in our nature. And he speaks about the necessity to manifest all of that in love. And he mentions love in this section three or four times. But I just want to focus back on one aspect here, and that is attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Messiah. I just can't believe Paul would write such a thing. I mean, that is extreme, is it not? I mean, he says, attaining the whole measure. We could live a little easier with this if he said, if we would grow in measure. But he speaks about attaining the whole measure and then the fullness of Messiah. So the question is, what does this mean? I can't help but think in the very next book of the Bible that Paul writes, in the book of Philippians in chapter 3, Paul speaks about, I want to know Messiah. So there's this continued craving, yearning, and growing in our knowledge, both experientially, how we put his life into practice and his truths into practice, as well as that which helps our understanding in our mind. But look what he says, I want to know Messiah and the power of his resurrection. I think that's what Paul means here when he sees, refers to attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Messiah. It's knowing Messiah and the power of his resurrection. What does it mean to know Messiah? It means to become like him. That's what it means to know him. What does it mean to be like Messiah? Well, we turn to the next book, and or next two or so, in the book of Galatians, Paul speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. In chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, patience, etc. Those are the characteristics of Messiah. When he talks about our attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Messiah, he means to say that we would become more and more like him, and the only way we can become like him is by the power of his resurrected presence. And so when I hear Sally Klein O'Connor speak about her ministry and those that will be joining with her, it's a manifestation of God's presence that they bring to the people of Germany or Poland or Austria or wherever the Lord's going to be leading them. But that's also true for you and I here in Los Angeles and wherever the Lord might bring us. We're to be manifestations of the living God and manifestations of the resurrected Messiah. That's what God is up to. Sally Klein used the phrase redemption. And so what is redemption? I shared a little bit about this in Rosh Hashanah, but let me just back up a moment because it, it just grips me so deeply to think about what the Lord has done in redeeming us. We need to remember what we have lost. And unfortunately, we don't particularly or don't fully comprehend what we lost when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden. We don't have a lot of information of what life was like prior to the fall, but we know this much. Their communion with God was uninhibited. But after the fall, it was so inhibited, they attempted to hide from God, and unless God found them, they would have stayed estranged from him. It is God who says, where are you? It is God who comes looking for them. It is God who is desiring them more than they are desiring God, though they are in need of him. In, I was going to say more than he is in need of them. But God is not in need of us at all. And yet he comes looking for us. 
And why does he come looking for us? Because we lost something that he gave us, that he wants us desperately to have. And what it is that we've lost that he wants us to have is his very presence and character lived out fully in our lives. That's why in Genesis it says that when God created man and woman three times, he created us in his image. That's the great blessing God has given to us. He's made us like him. And he's made us to crave the things that he craves. And he made us to enjoy the things that he enjoys. He made us to be like him. And so when the evil one came and said to Adam and Eve that the reason why God does not want you to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is because God knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And the irony of it all is they already were like him. The lie was that they weren't like him but would become like him. The reality was that when they ate, they ceased to be like him. And now they became ones who no longer knew what was good, but only knew what was evil. It was the exact opposite, because that's what Satan's goal and role is, to destroy all the good that God has made. And that's why in Genesis, the focus of the Genesis creation is not on the fact that evolution is a farce and God is the creator, although I know there are many that are devoted to pointing out that truth. But that's not what Genesis is about. Genesis is about, chapter 1 is about the goodness of God, not the way that he created. And how do we know that? Because one of the hermeneutical rules is whatever is repeated is what is most important. And so what is repeated? And the evening and the morning was the first day, and God saw all that he made, and it was good. And God saw all that he made on the second day, and it was good. And God saw all that he had made on the third day, and it was good. Until finally, and God saw all that he made, and it was very good. So what is Genesis about? It's about the goodness of God. And that what God does and puts his hands to is always good and beneficial for everyone. And is always intended to bring glory and honor to his name. So what did we lose? We lost the good thing God had made us as. Ones in and after his very own image and likeness. So what is redemption about? It's about becoming like God as God had intended us to become. And how does it happen? It happens by attaining to the fullness of the measure of Messiah. That's why submission to him is so critical. Because we cannot be like we were intended to be unless we submit ourselves, subject ourselves to the process by which God makes us more like himself. Redemption is not about getting from earth to heaven. I remember Billy Graham once saying, if it was, he'd arm every evangelist with a gun. But it's about God transforming a life to be like his own. Yesterday, I was just going through the television. I had never heard Greg Laurie before. I knew of his books. I knew of his reputation. I never heard of him. I never heard him speak. 
And so I'm just flipping through the channels. I guess he, he had uh, a harvest fest uh, outreach crusade a few weeks ago. And I'm, you know, I'm listening to it. I figured, let me just get a taste of this. Next thing I knew was an hour had gone by. I was like brought right into what he had. I wanted to ask the Lord into my life again. I mean, it was like, yes, I'm praying that prayer too. But it was such a marvelous message. Simple as can be. It was like listening to a young Billy Graham with an, a Southern California accent. I mean, even to the point where he said, everybody comes forward because God publicly you know, called everybody. I said, that's Billy Graham. <laughs> you know. And I guess it's a good thing to take stuff from Billy Graham. He's been very good in his presentations. But I was just so moved. But at the end of it, he has everyone go around the back of the stage. And so on the front of the stage, it's shaped like a U or a half moon and the musicians and all that's going on. But he says, you're going to come forward. You come around to the back. And then the scene shifted to the back. And here they're praying with people. But every, there's all these people praying with people. And then he was in a little interview. He spoke about the need to grow in Messiah. The need to find a place of fellowship where you can grow. You need to find a place where you can serve. You need to find a place where Messiah becomes more and more a part of your life and of your character. And I thought, that's, that's what Ephesians is all about. It's about attaining the full measure of Messiah. It means allowing Messiah to take such rule and residence in our life that our character is his, that our life is his life. And isn't that what Paul says? For me to live is Messiah. It's him. And to the degree to which we do that, Messiah will be made known. Paul's idea of growth has nothing to do with numbers. It has to do with the character that we manifest and that we become. And we manifest that character or the lack thereof more often than we realize. The other day I was in the dentist's office and the gal, there's a Jewish gal and she's working on my teeth. You know what it's like being worked on on your teeth and she starts talking to me. I go, uh-huh, you know, and you try as best you can, even though you know you're not going to do very well. And so she's working on me and working on me, you know, and, and after a while, I just sort of closed my eyes. And there was like no pain. She said, is this her? I said, no, everything's fine. And so I just, you know, closed my eyes, and I really thought I was going to fall asleep. I was a little afraid to, because then my mouth would close, and who knows what would happen. And she said, I need to ask you a question. Wait, wait, wait till I'm done, you know, so you can ask, answer. And I said, okay. You know. <laughs> and she said, I worked on a, on a lot of people. I've never worked on anyone so calm and so peaceful. How is it that you're so calm and peaceful? And I thought, <laughs> I thought to myself, I said, if you asked my wife that, <laughs> she would say, How do you, why would you even think he's calm or peaceful? But she asked me, and I, I just said to her, well, you know, when I was 17 years old, I wasn't always like this. But when I was 17 years old, somebody told me about the Jewish Messiah, who is Jesus. And Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
He says, my peace I give to you. Not like the world gives, but I will give you a peace that passes all understanding. I said, if you can sense some kind of peace, you're sensing what he's provided. Indeed, I said, you're sensing him. And that's what God wants to do through all of us. Not just when we're in a dentist chair, but when we're interacting with people. When individuals see us interact with our spouses and with our children. When they see us interact with our employees and our coworkers, when they see us interact with our neighbors and with our friends, they will see Messiah. Remember when I first started teaching and I sat down with the principal and he knew that I had never had a classroom of kids before. These were sixth graders, seventh graders, and eighth graders. And he knew, you know, I, I was 38 years old at the time. He knew that I had come from... Jewish mission work, which can be very intense. And here I was getting in, going into this class to teach. And he's told me this as he's stuck to, with me. He said, when you teach, don't think these kids are learning what you're teaching them. They may learn some of that, but what you're teaching is you. They will remember you. Think about your own life as a student. What do you remember about your teachers growing up? None of us remembers how it was we learned algebra. Well, I never learned it. But those of you who did, you know, or how we learned to parse a sentence, or how we learned grammar, none of us remembers that moment when the teacher put what, the Venn diagrams or whatever, but all of us can talk about some of our teachers. Mr. So-and-so, oh my goodness, I can't believe the way he did this, this, that, and that. I remember when this teacher put a sign around my deck, you talk too much. I did have that happen to me, by the way. You talk too much. I can remember that. And I felt, you know, at the time, I think I felt pretty shamed. But now as I look back on it, she was probably right, you know. <laughs> but nevertheless, we remember the things about the people, our teachers we encounter. We remember them. They taught us them. And I remember hearing that, and I said, boy, if he is right, I certainly want them leaving wanting to learn more about God's word. I certainly didn't want them leaving my class saying, that's the last time I'm taking a Bible class. That's the last time I'm ever going to talk, think about uh, reading parts of, of the Bible. I wanted them to love it. And this principal, who had many years of teaching, I thought I better really listen to him. But, you know, that's just teaching in a classroom. The reality is the world is our classroom. And we are all teachers in, at one point or another. And will we teach that the attaining of the whole measure of the fullness of Messiah, will we teach him to others through our lives? And that's what Sally Klein's message at least spoke to my heart, is that when she goes, yes, she's giving out roses, but so that they might be drawn to Messiah who died for them. She's giving out roses that they might find some friendship and camaraderie with them. But why? So that they might see not Sally Klein O'Connor as such, but Sally Klein O'Connor who is transformed by the very presence of God in her life. And that they themselves would become transformed ones like her and her team. 
This afternoon, a whole group are going out with Josh, and they'll be handing out uh, invitations to our Yom Kippur and Sukkot services that are upcoming. As they hand them out, and as people come, when they come, they're seeing the body. They're seeing us. And we want them to see Messiah in and through us, that they might find life in him, and that they might become like the God in whose image they were created. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your marvelous grace to each and every one of us. Father, may we not let it fall on deaf ears or hard hearts. May we be ones that say, yes, may we attain the full measure of Messiah. And over time, little by little and more and more, Messiah manifests himself in and through us. And so, Lord, take our lives and let it be a manifestation of your very presence to those around us. For we pray in Messiah's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.